Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, podcast fiends! You are listening to episode 188, and good on you, of the Howie Games Part A, featuring the super cat himself. The Howie Games presents to you Mr. Joel Selwood. Selwood, be great to see him kick a goal. Selwood on the check side! Oh, hail Joel Selwood! On field, Joel was one of those rare footballers that could turn the tide of a game back towards his team, the Geelong Cats, through a combination of talent, grunt and call it what you like. Want, desire, willpower. Joel is a phenomenal leader. Four flags, six-time All-Australian, three-time BNF winner and the longest-serving captain in the history of the entire sport. Off-field, Joel is humble, very humble, super friendly, and he's one of those people that has time for everyone, always with a smile on his face. He would hate to hear this, but Joel is the role model's role model. This is a great, great person. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know, mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by Joel has just released a long-awaited autobiography titled Joel Selwood All In, in conjunction with Hardy Grant Books. For anyone, anyone interested in what it takes to be the best about what goes into the so-called Lonely Hours, as Sel calls them. Get your hands on this book. It will stay with you. It is a great read. It is called Joel Selwood All In, and it comes highly recommended from the Howie Games team. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes? Just before we get rolling, a quick thanks from me to you all. Because the pod continues to grow monthly in audience size, we've just had our most listened to 12-month period. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Tommy Dullard, who's come on board, the guru, sharpened us up, straightened us up, given us new ideas. So thank you to Tommy. And thank you to you all that recommend the podcast to your crew. That's tremendously appreciated. If you could do me one other favour, by simply hitting follow on Apple Podcasts, that's follow or subscribe. It's free, no strings attached, doesn't cost anything. It just means you won't miss an episode and it will help the show to continue to grow. If you could do that for me, that would be super. All righty, let's get to it with Joel Selwood, a man that is all in. So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Well this is absolutely fantastic for me and our audience Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Joel Seld A four time premiership player with the Cats A premiership captain One of those blokes seen as one of the toughest footballers to play the game in recent times He's just brought out a book called Joel Selwood All In It is a fantastic read Get your hands on it It is a cracking read about footy and life And a few other things you wouldn't expect It is called Joel Selwood All In And he joins me on the Howie Games At my house 200 metres from his house in Bowenhead. So this is a great day, Sel. Great to see you. 
Thank you, mate. And uh, thanks for having me in here. Yeah, and you are the king of Bowen no, Heads. No. I'm just the little person. So uh, well, you really you, appreciate you, you having me over. You've been here a year and a half now. I've lived here for 14 years in Bowen Heads and I was told you are considered a local when you've been here 25 years. Right. So you've got right? 23 years to go. But you have a child who is considered as a mine because they were born Ah. In Bowen Heads. So Joey is considered a Bowen Heads resident. There you you and Britt have probably got 23 years to go. Well, we may have time on our side. And, jeez, uh, it's a nice place to live. It is. Uh, we made the move after COVID um, to come down here. We had a little old shack and we decided that we'll roll it over and build a beach shack, which then turned into home because uh, we just love the area so much. So, What do you like about living down in this part of the world? Um, just a bit of everything, you know. Um, it, we do like busyness, but just to come down here and, um, you know, we've got the beach out the backyard, basically, and then I was a Bendigo boy. So to feel like a community and country again, um, it's just, it's got that feel to it. One of my favourite stories from the book, and we'll, we'll get to the start, but there's things I want to talk to you about before footy, but one of my favourite stories is you coming home after winning the premiership and pulling in to the APCO, the petrol station in Bowen Heads. I thought I might have got a run today. <laughs> How crazy, Well, the, hey? the APCO is the centre of town in many ways. Have to go past APCO to get in. <laughs> you do. You know, and you go to get petrol. It's the boom gate in many then, ways. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you've got some nuts, a chicken schnitzel. You got like It's hard to get out of the place, but tell me that story. I love that story. Well, yeah, so Britt was obviously about 18 weeks pregnant, so grand final day being on her feet and may have had like a little boot on. So the tummy's sitting in a different, different position than what it had usually for the previous time. So she was a little bit uncomfortable. And when I went off to the after party, one of her friends quickly snuck her to the hospital just to get her a bit of a check because she wasn't feeling that good. From there, she went back to just across the road from the footy club where I had ended up being. And it was about 12.30 and she was exhausted. So I decided that... Uh, I was going to pick up and, you know, head off. So this is the night of the grand final. You've just won yep. the premiership. You've just retired. Well, it's probably the retirement announcement wasn't out at this stage. Yeah. And and back at the footy club, footy club did a great job, invited anyone that worked at the footy club and anyone that you wanted to invite from there, basically. So there was a 1,000 people, walked up and back of the room. You know, it was about 150 metres long. I walked back probably four times and I was like, that's going to do me. So decided that I'd you know, go grab Brit and be able to drive home. So yep. w- with that, Harry Taylor wanted to yeah, have a moment with me, which was nice. So he's um, walked with me to uh, pick up Brit. And from there, he had his he had my key in his pocket. So Your car key. Yeah. And, and how the, the new cars start, basically, you just if you've got the key close to the car, you can just press the button and off you go. So when we dropped Harry back at the footy club, we forgot that I'd left the key in his pocket and he'd gone back and the car was in gear, so off we went. So the car's still running fine. Yep, and Geelong to Bowen Head's 25 minutes. Um, so when we stop at APCO and put it in gear, we just get in the world of trouble. Why are you stopping at APCO? Uh, that was for just for a quick bite to eat. So, <laughs> I tell you, you can't we, drive past it. Not that we hadn't had a, a good like <laughs> yes. nibble along the way at the well, footy club. Well, but so a man's a, just won a premiership and he knows he's retiring. What's he getting from he's the app? He's getting app a code? dim sim, of all things. <laughs> Finally, he can release. A dim sim and, and a chicken sticks. But, yeah, that's a bit of a regular too. <laughs> right. And I'm sure you've been there. Yes, I have. <laughs> so we're getting that and then I get back to the car and I, I even heard the sound as I put in gear and then walked out. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble here. 
but no one was around, like dead. Um, whether it'd been a big day, there was like, would have been a huge day. Yeah. So if you don't know, Barnhead, small coastal town, out of Geelong, ninety-eight percent of the population go for the cat. Yeah. Um, so the next car that drives in is a P-plater who had been working at the pub all day, and uh, I'm guessing that it was a pretty solid, busy day at the Bowenheads pub. Mm. So uh, young Emily, she didn't really get the, any choice, but uh, as soon as she pulled up, I said, I, I need you, basically. <laughs> I need you to take me home. Um, I live around the corner. And I'm dressed in full cat's gear, tracksuit, pants, jumper, like. But to be fair, so's 98% of yeah, bar. Yeah, well, <laughs> true, true. I didn't think of that. Um, and she's, she, she, got, she got a bit of a your, shock. Did you have your footy jumper on? No, 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 no. So she got a bit of a shock uh, as I jumped in the passenger seat and told her that I live two k's down the road. But she drove me. Um, it, uh, if I was her father, I'd be a bit worried. But <laughs> she drove me home, and uh, we had a little conversation on the way that uh, you know I could understand that she wasn't overly wrapped with the day. I said, "How was it?" And she goes, "Oh, I had a shit day. You know, busy AFL Grand Final at the Bowen Heads Pub. What do you think, basically?" <laughs> and uh, then she asked me how my day was. So and she's I'd, got no idea who nah, you are. Nah, she had no idea. And I basically said to her, oh, look, I probably had the best day maybe I've ever had. You know, <laughs> at that stage I um, hadn't had Joey. So it was, um, I said, yeah, I, I had a great day. And then she goes, oh, how'd you spend the grand final? I said, oh, I actually played in it. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, which was so nice. Like yes. and if ever a great leveller, you know, the not knowing, but the cameras were following me, you know, for the last probably 40 minutes of the game because the sting was out of it a bit and yep. probably guessing that I was finishing up. So it was a great leveller for me uh, <laughs> that the girl in my own backyard didn't even know who I was. So and what, what did picked she up say? the key. Um, when you said I played in it. No, she, 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 she came back to me straight away and said, my boyfriend's going to effing kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's obviously mad cats, which I've now found out, which uh, a good man. Um, so as we're driving back, I said, Emily, I've actually got the cup in the car, so you have to jump out and take a photo so we can show so your you boyfriend the, that it's legit. You had so, the premiership cup in the back of the car. We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, very special. And as I said, a great leveller in life. It's a great story. How was the process of writing a book. You, as you walked in here, you told me you read it. Three. Three read times. It three times. And yep. you're not a big reader, be fair yep. to say. What, what was the process like, mate? Mate, it was unbelievable, to be honest. So um, I was never going to do it. Um, and then as my career was sort of coming towards the back end of it, um, I sort of got pushed a little bit um, that, you know, this will be a good thing to do and do it because... If it's not going to be for you, then your kids, yeah. you know, as they come along, may want to read it or use it as fire paper or whatever. Mate, it, like, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, congratulations. It's a fantastic read. I read it in two sittings and it was a book I really, really enjoyed. Knowing you a little bit, I think I enjoyed it more. But you and whoever's put it together have done a fantastic yeah. job, mate. So congratulations. So that was Pete Ryan. And Pete did a, like, a really nice article on me when I played 300 games. Um, he just went and asked a few people that were really close to me that an article that really hasn't been done before. And uh, I always had him in mind that if I was going to write a book, then I'd get him to do it. And Pete's not a book writer. And he told me that straight away. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not going to write one then. And then he sort of felt a bit guilty. So, so you guilted him into it? Yeah. So I twisted his arm. And with that, um, you know, a dry sense of humour, Pete, but as witty as they come, um, writes for The Age, uh, sports journalist for many years and 
you know, we, we had so many giggles along the way, you know, sit downs and, and I thank him because, you know, he would have interviewed me, you know, close to seven, eight times okay. um, in big sittings. Yeah. But he, he would have reached out to, you know, 50, 60 people. Um, yeah, to get their opinions and stories and stuff like that. And the title, All In, what does All In mean to you? Well, uh, it was only when I retired and uh, it was a little bit off the car. I should have probably been a little bit more prepared, but I said um, why I'm not going next year is because, you know, I could only go at 85% and if I was to go again, I needed to be All In. Huh. And it was basically from that. So, And then he understood, you know, where I was coming from, you know, if, Everything that I did, you know, when you read the book, whether it was preparation for game, um, whether it was, you know, looking after teammates, um, you know, late phone calls, people around me, you know, I was always all in. So you are, I had this conversation with a couple of people in the pod. The first one was Elise Perry, such a modest athlete. And I said, how are you going to go talking about yourself for an hour and a half? She said, oh, it's not going to be easy. You, yeah. you, you are an extremely modest man, a very, very modest man. So how do you feel about on the front? We've got Joel Selwood all in. Yeah. Then there's a, a grab from your coach, Chris Scott, that says, the best player I have ever seen, which <laughs> is a wonderful recommendation from a superstar player and coach. But how did you feel when they said, right, we're just going to stick this on the front of the book, Sel, the best player I've ever seen? <laughs> Well, I didn't have any say in that, and maybe and it's it's out of context a little bit but, because but I think no, he, that's what he said about you. Yeah, as I a, only asked you this because of how <laughs> modest you are. I, I think as a, a sort of a complete, you know, package, maybe um, that's the context that he was saying it. So maybe they need to add another sentence no, in no, there. No, talking that, down. Uh, Chris Scott, the best player it, I've ever seen. Yeah. Mate, it, it's a cracking book. People need to get their hands on it. I really enjoyed reading it. I appreciate that. In, in um, celebration, never been done before on the show, in celebration of the fact that we are doing this at my house and two minutes from your house, I think yep. that deserves a celebration. So I come with gifts today. Oh, and too you, kind. you actually arrived with gifts yourself. You, what did you bring over there? What have you got over there? Well, they're our backyard chocolates. So the yeah, Great Ocean Road chocolate place. Right. Not that they're for us today, and the boys are probably going to get into them up no, there. No, the boys so can steer clear. Hands off. The kids will be all over that. But I, I do have gifts. I have gifts a little closer to home. I have, he needs to grow, for Joey. Nice. A Howie Games size 6 T-shirt. Not going to take long no. before he gets in that. Uh, and I have, for you, these are rare as hen's teeth, a Howie Games Full, large, yes. wind cheater, which yes. I expect you to rock in Barwon Heads. Oh, and around and around Victoria Good. and Australia. Don't Promote worry. The game. And even better, because you're a Barwon Heads boy, you get a six pack of the uh, best beer on the planet, Barwon Heads Brewing Co. Drafts. That's for you, big you, man. Mate. Now you can Too have good. Beer you drink responsibly. Yes, very good. Mate, and, and a good beer too. Yes. I, have, I have had that drop before. Good so thank you very much. Put those much. down to the side. And for your listeners, this is not the first gift that you've ever given me. And, oh, no, it's and people not. should know that you're very kind because occasionally I have found a, uh, oh, yeah, you did. a bottle of red wine or, yeah, you know, you've just you've been always very kind to me. So thank think, you very much no, my over pleasure. the journey of breaking a few milestones. So yes, my, my absolute pleasure. Hey, mate, I, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. One of them is leadership. We'll get to your leadership. But before that, you've just gone on a big overseas tour and yep. Erica and I were walking around just outside the pub on a Tuesday afternoon and you had little Joey and you said, oh, yeah, so how, how is Joey now? 
Five months. Five months. And you said to Ian, I said, what's going on, mate? You said, oh, I've been doing a bit of work for the storm. Um, but Britt and I and Joey are going to Europe for, was it a month? Two months. I looked at Erica and she looked at me and we were like, Great, Joel, that's fantastic. <laughs> and we got home and we're like, what the hell is the man attempting here? <laughs> yes. It's a European trip with a little one. How I'm thinking about opening up a, a travel podcast, so I'd like to get Joel Selwood's tour of Europe with a beautiful wife and a very small child. Yep. Uh, mate, to be honest, it made Britain and I stronger. Right. Yeah. Well, could have gone um, one, for, or was, yeah, one or two yeah, ways. could have gone one or two ways. You've got to communicate well. You got to understand what Joey wants to do early yep. in the trip. So we we were quite fortunate that we got those. You know, he's a good sleeper, so the plane trip was great. Um, and then when we got in, we the understood. Plane trip was okay on the way. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, we were surprised too. Right. And just shows how resilient they are. And was like, that due to the fact you and Britt were up in business and you just stuck him down in the economy <laughs> for someone else to look after? No. Well, it, well, we did get it. Yeah. It was a nice trip over. Right. <laughs> but um, with that. You know, he just, it just shows you that you can just do it. Um, and he was a perfect age. He hasn't got teeth yet. And, you know, he can't go too far. He just likes being on mum and dad. And to be honest, um, as it says in the book, you know, it took us a bit to get Joey. So yeah. um, dad's soft. And, you know, if I can have him in my hands at any time, I make sure that I do. So, Did you help the little fella out a bit as yeah. far as sleeping goes? Did he end up with you? A uh, fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> Most nights. <laughs> so I'm breaking every rule. But it could be a real error this. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we were in survival mode. So there's <laughs> going to be a lot of parents out there that yep. are going to say, you shouldn't have done that. But, <laughs> hey, you just got to do what you need to do. And uh, and we had the best trip because of um, what we did. So your two photos months were, over there. Your photos looked amazing. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and you looked happy. Yeah, we and we were. And we didn't miss what was going on back here. And if you told me that a couple of years ago, that, you know, you're going to be out of footy and travelling the world and two months over during – Busy footy season. <laughs> I would have gone, oh, God, I'm going to go mad here. Did you, did you keep an eye on the scores? Did you watch the games? Did you watch highlights yeah, or what no, did you do? Like yeah. how, how involved were you? I watched some, like a few of the Cats games, but we were travelling at different stages and it was only the Cats games that I did watch. So yeah. I've had the question quite a bit to me over the journey, you know, what are you missing most? And sadly um, for the Cats supporters out there, but I'm not missing much. Well, that's good, mate. You it means know, you made the absolutely right decision. Yeah, probably. Um, but I just... I just left so happy um, and maybe, you know, people don't get to do that but I, I, I still think that maybe I had a little bit left but I just didn't have enough to do the whole thing. So I loved the teammates and the people that I was working with right to the end. I've yep. got great relationships. I hope they go really well but now it was time to go and do the next thing. So, And what was the if, – if you had to say to me, Howie, there was one thing on my trip that we did this or went there or saw this or experienced this, what would it be? Uh, it was basically just Britt wanted to go live over there. Um, so this was a trade-off, go over on a big holiday for a couple of months and, you know, enjoy whatever she wants to do. So a part of that was live in London for, you know, four weeks and just feel like a local. And with that brought mum and dad over too. So mum and dad have been in the AFL system for 20 years mm. with the twins going before me, uh, playing before me uh, for West Coast and, and Brisbane. So they were always going to struggle through this footy season. So we said they love looking after Joey, but they were over there. So we were able to sort of, you know, share the duties. It was nice to go and have some dates with Brit and just feel like a little bit of a local in London. You spoke in your player profile that came out last week about meeting Sachin Tendulkar and getting yep. a selfie with him. 
And since the player profile, straight after you showed us the photo, I, I looked at it. I think there's a bit of starstruck about Sachin. I think he knew who you were, Guru, and I think he's – I reckon he's floating around Mumbai showing his mates. Here's my photo with John Selwood. Oh, I, well, I did send it to Gilly, as I said, through there, but um, – yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to send him over a catch jumper. You, you will. Because I'm sure that he'd love to have that. You will. Uh, Whack a Howie Games jumper in the package as well. We'll because do. If, if Sachin gets around Mumbai in a Howie Games jumper, Tommy, our lives are made. I, I think we're, oh, we're yeah. home and home. I'll go with you. I think we're home. I, I mentioned leadership. You had a couple of fantastic experiences um, that I read about. Firstly, with the, with the Australian cricket team, with your connection yep. of Andrew McDonald, a good Geelong boy. Yep. It was a day. How was the experience? Did you did you see the way the Australian cricket team is being led by the coach and the captain, or what was your what was your time spent with the Australian cricket team like? Yeah, so it was the last main training session before the Lords Test, um, and it was more just to get the logistics of it too yep. for me. Um, I'm a I'm a lover of the operation of sport, so. Um, you know, when we're talking about you know what's that training session, how well it's organised. Um, you know, who does what um, through that. And, uh, like, cricket's a lot different to football. Like, mm. It's a lot more individualised um, in what they need to work on. But, um, yeah, well, and, and that's what they were. It was really well organised, um, a structured day, nice, calming sort of big picture stuff. You know, don't work yourself up just yet, 48 hours out. You know, you've got a, a big five days coming up. But they knew the job at hand to... Yeah, put himself in a great position to win that test. Have you played with as quirky a footballer as the Australian number three and four are in Labashane <laughs> Smith? Wonderful men, yep. quirky dudes. Uh, no, no, right. I can't say that I so, have. So um, did you experience a bit of their quirkiness? Oh, like they just love the game, don't they? Like, like nothing, like... Like a six-year-old loves cricket. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what they are. And, and they? I've been around lovers of football. Like Steve Johnson is like a genuine lover of football yep. and and there's a beautiful thing in that too like he's got so much knowledge and now he's passing it on back where he started but he'll be back within the AFL systems mm. at some stage too and I've played with a lot of those but nowadays you know the boys there's a lot of players that don't watch enough football is there not yeah so to see that I actually appreciated the three yeah. and four yeah. <laughs> because I was probably a, not to their extent, but I, I could see little bits of me in them, I think how much they loved it. You cr- know? Cricket goes to a next level of love, doesn't it? Like I'll give you an example. Our, our stats guy, Laurie Colver, yep. he, he's a genius as far yep. as cricket and knowledge and stats goes. So we, we'll do a test match, right? End of the day, like you're cooked, Sel. Yep. And then uh, – if he's not working on a big bash game that night, he loves the Adelaide Strike, he loves your man Travis yep. Head and Alex Carey. He, I'll say the next day, how was your night, Lars? Yeah, had a couple of beers, got room service, watched the cricket. How was he? He said, yeah, well, I scored the whole thing. So he sits there with his scorebook really? scoring the big bash Does he? after a day of doing it at the test cricket. Like the love of cricket is a whole other thing. Yeah, I get that too. And, and um, even like to know how many nights that they stay away yeah. from you know, throughout the year. So, and this is a travel party of 30. Yeah. Um, not just the sort of 15 guys that are there maybe getting ready for a test or, um, you know, Marcus Harris, who was, you know, an extra at the time, um, 
maybe getting a go. Yeah, you just uh, don't know, do you? You just don't know. So um, the hours that he's putting in, you know, behind the scenes. So, and But it wasn't only just for the test. You know, it's the two years before. You mm. know, he's been going over and playing county mm. for this Ashes series. And then you do it. And he might not be in. So Marcus spends seven weeks travelling around not playing. You yeah. also had an experience which really fascinated me, mate, that I wanted to talk about, the Tour de France. You, you yep. were, how did that come to pass? You were in one of the cars? Like what, what happens was, on a day like that? That fascinated me because I, I really oh, enjoy the tour. Mate, it is like something else too. Like, is it? And I haven't – I've been a like a follower of the Tour de France but it's just on tough times, you know, here as you know. Yes. So um, the time that I got to watch I actually got suspended for a period of time and I was over in Perth and um, – got to watch us there was one event that I always thought I'd love to go and you know experience it yeah um, and the opportunity came about through um, a Melbourne Storm connection Jerry Ryan who owns the the team um, so it's Jaco Akula and basically just spent the first two days with them so two really great stages you know there's it's made up of um, individuals from all over the world um, and they put this team together and just the, oh, the, again, the operations of it is just massive. So, so when of the team, but then the event, you know, we rocked up and there's 30 buses of teams. Um, wow. And then there's millions of people that are lining this. And I had a, I had a tag, a media tag to get in. Um, I was with two media guys um, the first day sh- showing me through and helping me out. And, Mate, we just jumped the fence. I didn't even use my tag. <laughs> and then the second day, it was the same thing. You know, we rocked up to the event and it, to think how big the event is and how smoothly it can go um, was just amazing. And you spent some time in, in a team car? I did, sorry. Yeah, I did. So, like, how does the radio communication work? Like, can the riders, yep. have they got earpieces? You know, how does it they work? They do. So the riders, there's eight riders in each team. And we were in car two because the day before Simon Yates come second to his twin brother oh, uh, that's yes. riding on another side. So um, so we were in the second car back from – and I even got that from the leader at the time. Um, he said, enjoy seeing the riders now because you're not going to see them for the rest of the race. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, we're in car too. Surely I'm going to see a little bit of them. And you do see bits of them and the guys come back when they go to the toilet or, um, you know, filter back to get some food or a message at different stages. It was just unbelievable. How does the communication work? Is it from a from a perspective of a guy that sits on the bench yep. and hears from the coach on the phone? I don't know how calm or not calm that is. Yep. What's it like in the tour? Because nothing happens, but then when it happens, it seems to happen in a hurry. Yeah, so I, I don't want to speak out of school, but yep. this was the day. It was team meeting 40 minutes before the race on what they were going to do for stage two. And they hadn't spoken about it before that from huh. what I understand. And uh, there was going to be three phases to the ride um, and how it was going to work, you know, the sprinter basically just stay out of trouble and make sure you get through the ride. And then it was a stage that the Jayco team were going to have a crack at with um, Simon again because it was quite a brutal um, stage. Yep. So um, with that, they wanted to have, you know, stage one, tick that off, stage two, and then stage three where it got a bit more hilly. Um, we wanted to have three riders amongst that front group to be able to put him in a really good position. Um, and there's, there's conversation all the way through about maybe road surface or road furniture, they call it, so traffic lights oh, yeah, or roundabouts yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And just making sure that they're going around it the right way to save 
the one percenters, you know, 20 meters or something like that. So, um, and then there's little things that happen along the way. You see a puncture or something. So boys, we need two to drop back to, you know, help get a rider back up or uh, unbelievable. What a wonderful opportunity. Yeah. Back to Joel shortly. Next up on the podcast, courtesy of Rip Curl, surfer Owen Wright. Now, this is one of those episodes that I hope you all listen to. I really do. Whether you love surfing or have absolutely no interest at all, when people ask me, give me five episodes of the podcast I should listen to, this is now one of those five. It was an intense experience listening to Owen tell his story. Once you've read Joel's book, get your hands on Owen's book titled Owen Wright Against the Water. That is Owen Wright Against the Water. It is a story that has many highs, but some serious, serious life-changing lows. My dad come to get me, and, geez, emotion comes up, but the face of big fear, getting back in the water. So, so what did he say? Him along with the neurologist says, it's time. You've got to get back to the ocean. And what was that message like to hear? It was tough. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah, right. But I knew it was time. That is Owen Wright next up on the show. Let's get back to Joel. How competitive a household. So for those that don't understand, you grew up in country Victoria with a big family of boys, yeah? Yep, I did uh, three brothers, twins at the top, uh, four years older than me, and then a younger brother, about 20 months. And it was, yeah. But it was only competitive because I wanted to be as strong as the twins and then Scott, the youngest, he wanted to be as strong as me and as good as me, So, which was really healthy, to be honest, apart from the holes in the wall and the... Uh, was there much biffo or was it all a, okay? A little bit, but not too much. Well, probably not the right person to ask, to right. be honest. Right. From what I can remember, it was okay. Okay. And why the love of footy? Like... Um, who did you first play footy for? What's your, yep. what, what's your first memory of footy? Uh, it was Auskick yep. and it was at Auskick um, back then. And then from there I was then the boundary umpire for the under-13 sides for my brothers, um, Troy and Adam, which yep. uh, also had a Nick Dalsano and Rick Ladson. Um, so Nick played 300 games with St Kilda and, and Rick played in the premiership with the Hawks in the 2008. Mighty, the mighty Hawks. That was my first experience. Then I went on to play for St. Teresa's under 12s. Did, did you fill in? Oh, I did I did fill in for a game um, that I wasn't supposed to. I got taken um, to a practice game and uh, it was a it was a nice uh, debut. Well, you're being modest here, nice <laughs> debut, because you talk about the fact that the, your brothers are telling the coach. Like, what, so it's under 13s, how old are you? Uh, well, I would have been nine. And the brothers are telling the coach you've got to get the Joel in the game, you've got to put him in the guts, is the gist of the story. Yeah, I was getting pushed out a little bit. I was sitting on the wing right. uh, to start and uh, I think I got caught on the uh, fat wing. So right. at the open side of the ground where the ball never came. So, uh, yeah, it, it took the practice match a bit too serious probably. And what is it about footy that captured you as a kid? Bendigo was just that. You know, you you were surrounded by it. Um you obviously had your side that you went for and it was a Carlton catchment um, back then. But it was, um, you know, I just loved the Cats. I loved the Cats. I loved watching Troy and Adam play. Um, and then we had, you would go play your game in the morning, then you'd have your senior side play of the afternoon. And um, 
in that, you know, you'd watch the reserves go behind the goals and change ends yeah. as, you know, your key forwards are yep. kicking goals and trying to kick it back. So loved everything about it. So as you kind of listen to the podcast, you know that my kids ask questions. I do. Um, and whoever's most involved asks the question. However, they both enjoy your work. So you get a question okay. from both of them. But we'll start off. So you've got to understand living in Bowen Heads, as I said earlier on, 98% of people go for the cat. So when my young bloke rolled down to his first Auskick encounter, he was in a Hawks jumper yeah. and he was surrounded by kids uh, in Geelong jumpers with your number or Gaz's number on the back was the <laughs> typical two. And you, I don't know if I've ever explained this to you in clarity. There was a restaurant called Orange and we were there one night and you were there with Brit and we were having dinner. I had the kids there. And you, being the lovely bloke you are, came and said g'day and I introduced you to the kids for the first time and Max chat, talkative chat. And he gave you absolutely donuts and he didn't speak to you. And Sky was, I said, mate, that wasn't very nice. I said, Dad, he plays for the cats. I can't talk to him. <laughs> so that's how tough it is as a Hawthorne supporter growing up in Barland Yeah, Heads. I get that. But he's got past that. You're only to blame for that. Yeah, well, well, his mum goes for Carlton, so I couldn't do that because that's just years of misery. He had a good start. He had a he good did. start. 13, he 14, did. 15, he oh, had a good yeah. start. All right, so this is, uh, you get uh, the penguin here, Joel. Hey Joel, Big Penguin here. First off, congratulations on winning the grand final, even though I think the Hawks should have won. Anyway, my favourite footy player was Cyril Rioli. He doesn't play anymore, but I wish he did. And I also love watching Steve Smith when he plays cricket. Who was your favourite footballer and who was your favourite cricketer when you were younger? Ties into what we were talking about. Who were your heroes in footy yeah. and cricket? Um, it's funny... Um, the Penguin, because uh, my favourite footballer probably growing up changed a little bit, but it ended up being a guy named Paul Kelly from the Swans. Right. And, and then I ended up wearing the 14, and that was just through a bit of luck, and he wore the 14. Um, but just loved it. He was tough, and he kicked it into plugger. Yeah. Uh, and and our, my story went a little bit the same. Yeah, you know, I, I just I kicked it into the plugger of now, which is Hawk. Yeah. Um, so, and then uh, my favourite cricketer, I, our era was great to grow up in in cricket. Yeah. You know, we had so much, so many to choose from. Whether it was Ricky, but JL was, you know, the cricketer that I JL. loved. JL, yeah. So yep. isn't that interesting? You've chosen Paul Kelly, like a really tough, hard footballer, and you've chosen Justin Langer, a really tough, hard cricketer. And uh, and yeah, let's not be modest for a moment. That's the type of footballer you became: a tough, hard footballer. Yeah, I think they were just competitors more than anything else. You know, I'd go for a run. Um, you know, as a junior and I try and run the same track, but a second faster each time that I ran it or so you even compete against yourself, just compete. Like everything was just competition and it, probably unhealthy at some stages. Um, that's, you know, I would drive myself like that. Um, so yeah, it was, I don't know what it was, but those two were standouts for me. So there's a really important lesson to talk about there, mate. When you were trying to push yourself as a kid, um, and we've got a lot of kids listening to this podcast. Yep. It's my favourite part about it when mum and dads come up and say, oh, you know, you, my daughter listened to Cathy Freeman and thought this or Mick Fanning and thought this. When when you weren't able to achieve your lofty goals as a kid, how'd you handle it? I'm sure it changed as you got older, but as a kid? Yep. Uh, well, it, it was interesting because I, I probably got an injury um, that's in the book too that yep. to my knee that probably helped me out more than anything else. But there was also a couple of 
good lessons early on. Like I played in a basketball side that dad was coach of and he didn't coach us in much, but um, he had a roster where you would just get rotated and it doesn't matter how good you were. Yep. Um, you know, you would spend the same amount of time on the court as anyone else. And it just depends on where you fell each week, whether you start on or off. Mm. So little things like that, you know, I, I was learning lessons all along that, you know, you share the time and, and to be a good player, you need everyone to come along. And, and that's why the team sort of sports you know, were really good for me because the individual sort of sport of athletics that I love doing too, I could push myself <laughs> and I love that side of it. But the leveler was being a part of team sports and enjoying being with the people around me. So that pushing yourself as a kid, was it pushing yourself to get better, to win, to not fail? Like what was your motivation? Uh, probably the first two more than anything else. You know, I loved winning. Did you? Um, and then I also, you know, loved just being a competitor um, so, and I wasn't like, I wasn't that like athletically gifted either too, but, you know, I'd find ways to win, you know, whether it be try and go to States at running, you know, 800 meters, couldn't out sprint them at the end. So I've got to go earlier, you know, I've got to go at the 500 meter mark huh. and just try and break them. And then, you know, if it's a grind at the end, I may be in it. So, um, I was pretty witty like that. Like I wasn't a book smart kid. But uh, I did. I did have a sort of a emotional intelligence about me that yeah. uh, was pretty special. You talk about a particular game. I don't know if it was when you were playing against Jaron Geary, and you yeah. you both kicked a bag. But you talked about getting the ball in the back pocket and progressing it up to the forward line. Which I, I read that. Enjoy this? I read that story. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So it's in the book, Joel Selwood All In. There's a lot of stuff we're talking about here that um, is not in the book and Joel goes into far more detail in the book. So this is only a little teaser what we're talking about here, what's in the book, which is why you need to read it. But I did enjoy that story, Sel. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it was a, a proud game of mine where I got the team involved no, uh, I loved a lot. It, but it was a, Yeah, it was basically a kick to find the boundary line. So I'd be in a bit of trouble these days uh, with how the rules are. So the ball starts in the back pocket? Yeah, and you basically try and get as close to the boundary line so it can filter out um, so you can reset to get it over the boundary line another 35, 40 metres down the line again. So you're um, getting the clearance, kicking towards the boundary line. Yep. And then going back to the next throw-in, getting the clearance. There we go again. Yeah, because I was playing the weaker side. Jaron was in the side with, you know, a lot of my friends too, school friends at the time. Um, And, yeah, they they were a sort of seven-goal better side than us. But... uh, the, the game plan worked this day. So you so. just progressed it by yourself up the whole wing to the forward line? I did, yeah. And I finished. <laughs> he finished with seven on the day and I finished with seven. Right. Um, and there was only one other goal kicked. Right. Um, but it was lucky enough that it was my side. So you won. We won. <laughs> there was so much talk about um, – we, we won't get – because you, you describe it really in, well in the book, so I want people to read about it in the book about when or how or, or – we would have gone in the draft. I think the Hawks famously could have picked you, but went for Mitch Thorpe, um, which, let's be honest, hurts, Joel. <laughs> it would have been <laughs> nice to see you in the brown and gold. But what, what's the first day as a kid walking into the Geelong Footy Club light? And that was a team of tough men. Yeah. Well, they were resetting at the time. Um, it's funny you ask because there was a day I, I forgot my runners. Um, so rocking up to the day and having to find, you know, and being a bit sort of shy because these were my heroes. I was a cat supporter. 
And the bloke that I sort of only had anything to do with was sort of Lingy because he'd made a phone call to me from the draft. So I was like, I'm going to have to ask him to borrow a spare <laughs> pair of runners here. Um, and they were couples. They were like a size and a half too big for me, but um, I managed to do it. And, yeah, I, I, like I didn't feel that uncomfortable straight away because it was – I had brothers play in the league at, you know, Brisbane and West Coast, as I said. Um, so – I was going in just to be ready and to play and um, show them that I can do it. Um, so that was my mindset straight away. There was also that, that leading teams environment in, in AFL football at the time. Were you in the famous meeting with Gazza or not? Yeah, I was, yep. Um, and my recollection of it was that we were in Swan Hill on a community camp at the time um, and it was like, it was brutal, but we, we'd had a few lead ups to that that have been pretty similar too. you know, blokes just being asked to pull their finger out and to invest a little bit more than what they do already. Um, but when it comes to Gaz, you know, he's um, quite emotional, you know, guy like that. He, when you're hearing these things and, you know, hearing from his dad, hey, mate, look after yourself. You're going to last a long time in this league and you're going to be great. Um, to hear the other side of it, mate, we need you to work hard because we need you to be the best player in the league right now mm. for us to be the best side in it. So um, it, it was hard to hear and, and listen to, but it taught me black and white, you know, that that's what footy was back then. What, what do you need to do? And um, we always had this saying, you know, be respected before you're liked. And that, that was pretty simple for me. So just go out there and try and get better every session that you did. Um, it didn't take the enjoyment out of it for me because I, I love that side of it, but it didn't work for a lot of kids. Mm. It's funny you, you mentioned in your book, I, I read it because um, I wasn't going to remember this, but you, you talk about um, your host family, Hillary, yep. and you were living with Hawk yep. and you talk about banana muffins. So the first time we met, um, you'd been nominated for the Rising Star Award. We'll get to your debut in a moment. But you were with the host family. Yep. Do you, do you remember the f- story we shot? Yeah, we it was went a bowling alley. Ten pin bowling. So I had to go down and do a story with you and Tommy Hawkins. So it's your first year. Yep. So it's two thousand and seven. Yep. And I remember, I remember, went back to Greg Smith and Dave Barham and I feel films, and they said, "Oh, how are those two kids?" And I said, "Yeah, no, it was a good story. We went bowling." But I said, "This this Joel Selwood, he's um he's unbelievable." And I said, well, "Why is he?" They said, "Why is he unbelievable?" I said, "Well." He's going to be a leader of that footy club. And they said, why? I said, well, because the other bloke, Tom Hawkins, is a big fella. And in the space of Joel's interview, I reckon Tom ate six muffins. <laughs> and then you mentioned the banana muffins in the book. Yeah. And you probably don't recall this, but I swear this is what happened. You said to Tommy, so your peers, you're both yeah, 18. Yeah. You said to Tommy, big fella, I reckon you've probably had enough muffins now. <laughs> He looked at you and he's like, yeah, no, Joel, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and it's, it stuck with me that even in that first year you, you were playing a leadership role with those young blokes around you. But let's be honest, Hawk was inhaling those muffins like nothing oh, I've ever seen, Sel. It was better than what he was eating the year before. Right. Like he was a, um, a Melbourne grammar student, right. you know, with Maccas down the road. So right. the banana muffins are... A step in the right direction. <laughs> Six of them is probably going a bit too far. But I, I clearly remember that and that's what I went back and said he's going to be a leader. So you set yourself to play the first game, 2007, round one. You play against the Bulldogs. Who t- like now it's made uh, – it's one of my favourite bits of footy now when you see um, 
the kid being told unawares by the coach and it's being yeah. filmed they're going to play yeah. their first game. Who, who tells you you're about to debut? See, well, I think maybe Brendan McCartney, right. um, if anyone. I can't remember it really clearly, but um, it was – I think they probably just expected that I thought I should be playing yep. and know that I should play. Um, and I got a little bit lucky. Matty Stokes got suspended throughout the NAB Cup series back then um, and they needed a, a quick little sneaky forward <laughs> – to fill the role, and uh, that wasn't me, but no, it was a was role that say. I needed to play. Right. So, Where did they go? No, they come to me. So um, they went to me, and then I got left with Kenny Hinckley, uh, who was the forwards coach at the time, and and that was the last time I played in the forward line. Right. Uh, in H- my how career. was your first game? Nah, it was a it was putrid. Uh, eight touches, probably five free kicks against, um, and yeah. The, that's when the electric fence got put up on the 50-metre line, Kenny said, and uh, if I ever went in it again, right. he, he'll zap me from the box. Right. So Not stay away. Okay. Yeah, so uh, which gave me a good relationship straight away. Like two great coaches that, you know, went on. Um, Kenny's still doing it now, but, yeah, looked after really well early days. And how was that first season? Obviously it, it ended with the perfect ending for someone playing their first year, but how, how was it? What, what, how did you find the demands? Or you, were you so well prepared by what you put yourself through that it was okay? Uh, well, it just went so quick. Um, and I was finding training harder than what I was games because I would start the game on the bench, come on, a bit like the sub, play 50 to 60%. Um, Good management by the club whether they knew that they were doing it or not back then it was just the way that footy was and then I would you know spend a lot of time on the bench on and off play on the wing so I got looked after even more um, I had a good running power and I was a, I was just around competitors so the, the season itself went so quick and we got on a roll and um, yeah it's funny though because I would still on Thursday night like I never felt comfortable I'd sit up and watch the footy show. At waiting, selection. Waiting to see my name to see. Yeah, so I, I waited for that. You know, the, wow. the easy thing to do, and I don't know why, but just going to Brendan McCartney's office and am I playing? You know, just ask a simple question. But you even, you know, for a guy like me that usually would do that, you know, just didn't do it back then. And what are your memories of grand final morning? Well, I remember that it was just, it felt special. And I'd bro- I had a brother, Adam, that played in the West Coast ones, the two before yes. that. So I knew about the grand final parade. I knew about how big the grand final was and how big it was. But, you know, being a part of the show was something else. And I loved more than anything else the grand final week where you have the training session and, um, you know, 15,000 at training yeah. in small little Geelong, feeling like the town's back. Like, it's, it was Sleepy Hollow for so long. It was only because we got Otto down, Brad Otten's down, and then we started winning a few games that it felt like there was a bit of light um, back in this town. And yeah, I, I watched that grand final from Cadinia Park because they were crossing down to me on the yep. broadcast um, to report what was happening in Geelong because yep. obviously people couldn't get tickets and it, yep. was, it was out of control down there. So it was a massive thumping against Port Adelaide. Off with a premiership medal, um, 
do you understand at that stage what you've achieved? I did to an extent. Like, I, not really. Uh, I just thought that's what you do because I saw a brother playing the two before and he got one. Um, so it was just my turn. Um, I didn't know how hard they were, really. I knew that I was in a really good side, uh, but I thought that you just could keep doing it. And then the next couple of years come by and gave me another chance to do it again and um, just got in that routine that you train each other up and learn some good lessons along the way. You know, what you sacrifice to make sure that you can get a good side together yep. and how you learn to play together. Um, who needs to come in? Who needs to go out? So, yeah, lo- love that, that I got to come in and experience the brutality early. 2009, and I, I was really glad to hear you talk about it in the book. Um, again, mate, I was on the boundary uh, and I was down in the rooms to do a cross as you guys came back out to go up at half time. Yep. And you know how, well, you know clearly, so people understand uh, Geelong's in the rooms down the Ponsford End and you, you exit out, you turn left, and then you're about to go up the, the, the uh, what would you call it, the, the slope of the runway up to the ground yep. and the boys all grab together there for one final message. Tom Harley's the captain, you're in your third year. Yep. And I remember saying it on the coverage that it blew me away that the player that delivered the final message to the group, Joel, was yep. you. You're a third-year player. Tom stood back and you, you delivered the message. I, I don't know what the message was. You can tell us what the message was, but, but how, how is a third-year kid delivering a message at halftime on grand final day? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, in the moment, more than anything else, how it probably didn't make much sense. But what, what 2009 was was um, a little bit like we needed to do it right from the word go. Like I was a part of a leadership group um, within my third year and th- that was my message. You know, I was pulling the young players together with the older players, but that's what I always remembered throughout the year. Like, hey, our time is now. And to be honest, we may have not been the best side in the competition that year. Like St Kilda were unbelievable, you know, and we come up against them um, a number of times, I think, two times before that and mm. we got them once but they got us um, and loved the rivalry but we got to do it now um, more than anything else and um, I think I just realised the moment and I didn't know the effect that it would have on the group um, maybe it was again just a small one but um, yeah I felt comfortable enough that I was in a group that would allow me to do that. We'll talk about leadership and how it develops, but you talk about in the book and you mentioned at the start that you were prepared to work hard and you mentioned a couple of times about preparation. In in the midst of your career yep. and it's the middle of winter, it's, it's this time, it's July, you're pumping through the footy season. Tell me what happens in a... In, in a description of when the siren goes to finish a game, let's say on a Saturday afternoon, to the siren going to start the game the next week, what, what are you doing to be able to go and play at the level you played at? Yeah, well, it's, uh, this time of year is the hard time of year for players, I reckon. Um, it's the grind. Yep. And I think the better players in the competition can play their best during this time. So um, it, it's recovery straight away so, so from a game, young what do you do? age. As soon as the game finishes, what are you doing? Yeah, it's uh, well, if it's a massage straight after the game, um, but it's a drive home. And the important thing about the drive home, you know, Melbourne to Geelong, um, I learned very early, but leave your mood in the car, whatever that is. And I was actually quite good at it for how stubborn and um, how competitive I was. Don't bring it home. And, and for a long part of my career, I didn't have 
someone to bring it home to. But, you know, towards the end, you know, last seven years, I had Brit. Um, so don't, she doesn't need to deal with that. So, <laughs> but when I got home, it, yeah, I'd usually drop her off and then it's into the footy club or it's, you know, if it's, if I feel the need to go to the water out, spit a seawater more than anything else. So just start recovery straight away. So this is after a night game. We're, we're yeah, talking yep. one so, o'clock in the morning, you're yeah, waiting it's around. Yeah, one o'clock, yep. And there, there's a few of us in there. So whether it's in the footy club, in the cold tanks, um, and it's a good time to have a yarn too. Like um, Harry Taylor's usually in there with me and a couple others that may come back. But I, I love that time to just, you know, have a quick stretch and a, a quick ice bath. Um, and then I know that I've given myself a chance to start the next week. Um, Sunday can, you know, I can wake up whatever time and I'll start my recovery again then. How much attention to detail are you or are you not paying to diet? Uh, not, not a lot. So that, that was the one that I probably could have been better at. I would go into games like three kilos heavier from what I ate the night before and love putting fluids in my body and probably overloaded way too much. Were you a so, pasta man or a steak yeah, man? Yeah, pasta for a long time. Um, what changed my eating habits was going and, and getting better at eating before games was going to the hub and learning how to do it differently. So, Well, everyone's looking at you in the hub. Yeah, a little bit of that. And then we had the dietitian there too, but everyone is looking so you you were aware that young blokes are around um, and it's not to try and do everything perfect, but you got, you've got different options too, Howie. Like yeah. it's not um, an easy takeaway pasta or something like that. And then before the game day itself, um, you, you've been given your role. How, how big a side of footy was mental preparation for you? Like did you visualise stuff? Did you think like how did you go about like you would front up game after game and just be this phenomenal force that would just force the game to go the way your team needed to go. Yeah. How did you prepare to do that mentally? Uh, no, see, I didn't put much mental fitness in it until the end. And then that's where I needed it most when I was in my final year more than anything else. Um, I didn't, I probably didn't know how mentally fit I was. Um, it's sort of a sort of buzzword now, mm. but w what I probably did was I'd love the lonely hours. And when I talk lonely hours, it's those ones of stretching and preparing and um, knowing that I'm ready because I've watched tape um, and I've got around my teammates and I know that they're feeling good. We've given this week a good shot. You know, we'll, we'll, if we're not going to win, we're going to be very, very close. So, so your confidence will come from preparation? Yep, absolutely, all the time. And and relied on it a lot, yep. Um, and confidence in the guys around me, whether it be a guy that's, you know, in his first handful of games or, you know, those ones that have stood next to me for over 200 games. That is the end of Joel Selwood Part A. It's only half time. Do not be missing the second half. See you there.